<laughs> Welcome to Dragon Talk! Yay! Yay! Very excited. Yes, we are yes. here. I Shelly am excited. Greg We're going to talk at the same time. <laughs> We've only been doing this for 95 years. <laughs> and we still talk over each other. We are the best. We're very professional. We're the best. For the official Dungeons & Dragons podcast, very excited to be here because we've got Jimmy Wong joining us. Yay! I remember seeing him and his friends, uh, his brother's videos, uh, you know, way back when videos were a thing that you talked about all the time. I guess we still do talk about videos a lot now, but, mm-hmm. you know... Uh, it feels like I was reporting on him when I was a games journalist and all the fun stuff that they did. And uh, here he is being a performer, having these this wonderful, um, you know, uh, stint as a uh, spokesperson and host for Magic the Gathering. A lot of our friends on Magic love and, and talk to Jimmy all the time. And, yeah. you know, he's a and d player. Which I love. Uh, I didn't know that. I know. So I'm very, I thought it was just magic. So I'm real excited to get a chance to talk to him as well. Super fun. Um, And we are happy to talk about some fun Dungeons & Dragons things that are coming out. The big one that is new for this week is Dark Alliance. Video game. You can play it on your consoles as well as on PC. Uh, We have talked to Bob Salvatore many a time on this podcast. We should get him back on, actually. Uh, Baby. uh, Because it is using... Drist and the companions, Cadibri, Brunor, and of Wolfgar. You can play as any one of those characters in a action RPG, beating up um, you know goblins, verbeeg ogres, and all types of baddies in Icewind Dale. So super cool. Super cool. It actually takes is. place right after uh, the Crystal Shard, when uh, the first book that uh, our, our friend Bob wrote. In that universe, in the D&D universe. And so you'll see, if you're a fan of those books, you'll see a lot of references to all of them in the action. Uh, and it talks about a, a you know, a, a part that has not been, um, you know, really dramatized before. Oh, that is awesome. And these, um, the art, like the, the um, you know, for the, the product itself, like it's, it looks like, it's like a movie poster I'm looking at. It's so exciting. Yeah. And the I mean, visuals, I mean, we've, I remember seeing D&D video games that was like, you know, the old gold box, I have the Beholder stuff that was all pixelated and, and uh, you know, even hard to make out uh, in some cases. And this one, it's amazing seeing it all in like the photorealism that modern video games have yeah. going for it. And our friends at Took Games uh, have been working on it for a long, long time and it's just getting better and better. And I can't wait for everybody to be able to play it. On June twenty second. Yep. So pre order now. Pre-order. And uh, there's a super cool uh, gameplay trailer you can that'll just get you even more excited. Yeah. It pumps you up. And I think I confused people when I said it's coming it's just in time for my birthday. I think people I said that on Twitter and I'm, people are like, Happy birthday. I'm like, Well no, I mean the game comes out on my birthday. Is uh, it on your birthday? June twenty fifth is my birthday, so it's just it felt like All right, oh, nice little nice little lead up to your birthday. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, well, yeah, that was nice times. that people are excited for your birthday I know. already. I'm not even excited for my birthday. After a certain age, you just kind of mm. turn it off, right, Shelly? I'm older than you, and I I do not turn it off. I still <laughs> am like, 
It is my birthday and we are celebrating. <laughs> are you, you do that whole me. birthday month where you're like, this I will, entire my, month is an honor My birthday's on the 1st of February. So I feel like, yeah, it's my month. It's your month. It's so, true. Mm-hmm, I don't well, just do a day. My I'll wife's birthday is on the 6th and I'm like, you know, you can either have Valentine's Day or your birthday. Which one is it? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's terrible. You're lucky you've got the June. Well, you you can have Father's Day or your birthday. Choose. I know. See, I don't really give a a, a a big credence for the for the days like Mother's Day, Father's Day, all that stuff. I'm always like, ah, it's just made up. Really? Hallmark did that. You no, might as well just I, say like, do you celebrate? Uh, you know, um, I'm trying to think of a Forgotten Realms holiday, but like, it's just as made up as those holidays. Yep, yeah, but I mean, it gets me some uh, alone time usually. <laughs> so <laughs> that I, is true. Like you know what I'm gonna do tonight? Back when we could go to hotels and stuff, that was always my gift. Bart was like, "You can go to a hotel for a night." I'm like, thank you, goodbye. Bags are packed. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> you two are very good at that. I will say, you're very good at being like, "All right, you know, the, now is the time for some aloneness," and then it brings you back to. So then, when you are together, you're, it's all all better, right? Yes. I mean, I usually will probably like go be alone in a hotel so I can look through seven and a half years of photos of my child and be like, look at how cute he is. Oh. <laughs> I, mean, I wish I could just hug him now. He's so cute. I can't wait to hug his little face off. It <laughs> <laughs> is true. That's what we would probably end up doing. That's um, what Well, do. maybe in this case, uh, for Father's Day, I'll go and play Dark Alliance on my brand new PS5. And maybe for Mother's Day, I'm going to play Van Richting's Guide to Ravenloft. <gasps> Are you going to dungeon master it? No. Oh. That's I think you'd be really good as a horror DM because you have uh, your love of all things scary. Because of my momonis? <laughs> your momonis. <laughs> um, I, it's possible. It's possible. It's definitely tempting. There's a lot of cool things in that book that could, um, I just think would be fun to play with as a player, but also as a dungeon master. Um, I don't know if, I don't know if we've talked about this, but I'm going to be starting a uh, lunchtime D&D game tomorrow. It starts. Mm-hmm. Bart's the dungeon master and we will be playing through um, one of the adventures from Candlekeep Mysteries. Oh, which that's just awesome. released. Yeah. Um, but I created a Hexblood Sorcerer. Ooh. And I'm so freaking excited to play her. You've got hags in the blood. Well, her name is Hagatha. So she's oh. got na- she's got hags in the name too. And I just love her. I just she's kind of like just like a little teenage hag on the loose. And she has just got permission from her coven to go out and do a little adventuring. You know, like when you're in like eighth grade and part of the your eighth grade graduation is you go away on like a two two nights to a like a camp or something. I've heard of schools doing this. I've never done it. Okay. I feel like that's what Hagatha's coven is doing for her. They're like, you get to go and experience the world a little bit, and then you're coming home. I like it. Yeah. So. It'll be Hagatha all along. Yes. Or like Hagatha in Paris. <laughs> <laughs> Except not Paris. <laughs> I can't wait for all the shenanigans. Who's, who's, uh, who is it? Just you, Barton, and Quinn? No, no, this is um, actually a lot of people on Bart's team. Oh, sweet. Yeah. So, oh, so it'll be uh, online. All right, perfect. Well, no. 
What do you mean online? <laughs> Everyone Stop will be it. in person. Everyone's coming to your uh, oh, oh, to your oh, room oh, right okay. now. Online. I thought you meant like streaming it. I'm like, whoa, whoa. No, like, what did you hear? Far. What did you hear? Because that is not true. Um, yeah, we will all be online. Um, and I'm just, there's a whole little thread about everybody's character right now. Aww. And these are my favorite moments when people are like, maybe my character knows your character. Yes, let's let's connect each other. I love this. That I is awesome. It. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait. Um, can't wait. Yeah, that's. Gonna, I want to hear all the after action reports. Okay, you'll hear them. All right. Well, we'll do them here on Dragon Talk for everybody. Um, so yeah, Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft, which includes rules on the hex blood lineage that uh, Shelley was just mentioning, mentioning, as well as the vampire. No, the dampier, which Dampier. is a vampire. Uh, uh, you know, spawn. Uh, and there's one more it lineage the re- in that the book. It is the Reborn. That is correct. Um, yeah. So those are all in there, as well as ton of information about different domains of dread and how to run horror games in Dungeons & Dragons, expanding upon the amazing popularity of Curse of Strahd. So you learn about Barovia, as well as some other really fun domains, including Dementaliu. Whoa. I know, right? That's the only one I've memorized how to pronounce. Demently you. But you say it so well. It's Yeah, I've got like a little accent. <laughs> yes, you have been practicing. So check that out. And of course, I would be remiss if we didn't mention that Candlekeep Mysteries is out in the wild. Everyone can check it out right now. It's available everywhere. There are two covers. The standard cover is fantastic, uh, depicting the library, but the alternate cover, which you can only get through game stores, kind of goes on our, you know, uh, book motif as a book that you might find in the library fortress of Candlekeep, uh, you know, in your travels. And it contains 17 adventures that you can drop into any campaign, use as one-shots. They're written by many new uh, authors to Dungeons & Dragons, including folks you've seen in streaming and other, uh, you know, performances out there. So it's just climbing out of the charts. People are are, are getting excited about it, and I can't wait to hear about all of the uh, play using these, these adventures. Me too. Yeah, and it was great talking to the Chris's uh, yeah. last week about the Candlekeep section as well as, you know, the entire uh, process of putting together such an ambitious project like this. And uh, it looks like it's going well, so I'm hoping for more along these lines because I think there is an appetite out there for, for shorter adventures um, to be able to, to, to drop into your games. Well, I'll let you know because I'm going to start playing one tomorrow. Woo! Yeah. That's so cool that you're doing a, a Hexblood, which uses Van Richten's stuff yeah. in a Candlekeep Mysteries yeah. thing. So look at you. Yeah. Crossing the streams. I love it. I love it. I can't wait. I can't. Um, speaking of crossing the streams, we talked about this a little bit in our interview with Jimmy Wong, but there's an exciting Magic the Gathering set coming out, which I don't think we've talked about here before. Uh-huh. Uh, Adventures in the Forgotten Realms, in which all of the characters and uh you know, monsters and, and things you know from Dungeons and Dragons, not only, you know, currently, but, you know, some some callbacks to old things in the artwork. Uh, looks amazing for Adventures in the Forgotten Realms. And we'll find yeah. a lot more about that in the months to come. But yeah. uh, we are getting really, really kind of excited about it here in the Wizards of the Coast office, and you'll be hearing more and more. So can't wait. Yeah, we'll hear, you'll hear more and more here on this podcast. 
on this very podcast. Yeah. It's yeah. true. We got we got we got connections. <laughs> we know folks. We know people. Uh yeah. Speaking so of that's, that's cool. Folks that we know, uh Shelly, you are going to be talking to someone about how to DM, is that correct? I mean, this is really just uh and purely opportunistic. I miss Lauren Urban. I love her. She's one of my most favorite people in our community. I just wanted to talk to her. And then I was like, oh, you know what? You're also a dungeon master and you could probably teach me a thing or two about preparation. Um, so that's going to be a really good one because uh, we it's going to be like a live tutorial. Um, she's going to show like actual notes of how... She has prepped a particular adventure uh, called The Pie Fight, which you can um, download on the DMs Guild. But just exactly like we talk about this stuff in theory a lot, but now like we'll actually get to see it in practice. Like what does it mean to like take notes? What are you taking notes on? Like show me everything. So she's going to go back through her library and and actually show us how she prepared to run a a specific adventure. Uh, I love that. I love having like the... You know, it's almost like a director's cut behind the scenes type yeah. of stuff that you get from a movie, being like, "This was the storyboard, and then this is the final." And you're like, "You're like, oh, cool! Now you'll be able to see that in Dungeons and Dragons form." So, yep, yep. Let's behind the uh, screen. Let's get Lauren Orban oboe crazy. I can't wait. She is one of my favorite people as well, and I'm actually a little bit jealous that you get to hang out with her. But go for it. Let's huh. let's give a listen. <laughs> Okay, welcome to How to Be a Dungeon Master. I'm real excited about my guest, uh, Lauren Oboe Urban. Many, many, I mean, do you even really need an introduction? <laughs> I, I mean, oh, why, why do you gotta I'm, boost my ego like that? I'm gonna oh. give you one anyway because it's wonderful, uh, because you just are wonderful. But Lauren Urban, who is the community manager for Idle Champions of the Forgotten Realms, a wonderful game by our partners at Codename Entertainment, as well as a professional classical musician on oboe and English horn, hence the oboe in your name. Um, Many of you, though, in our community know Lauren as a prolific dungeon master and uh, somebody who has appeared on a variety of live streams and podcasts. And I, Greg and I gave you a very... Uh, we could have went on in the intro, but I did say, I just miss her and I want to talk to her. So that's why partially my selfish reasons for asking you to be a guest here. Um, but I also will say that you really are one of the brightest stars in the D&D community. I think we can all agree with that. Your positivity, Aww. your supportiveness, you're just, and you're always out there just lifting people up the dragon talk way. And, um, and we love that and we love you. So just a little shout out to your awesomeness there. And um, um Well, thank but, you. I appreciate that. I was super happy to come on the show too, because I'm I miss you and I miss Greg and I miss chatting with everybody. So yeah. this was I jumped at the chance. And then it was like, well, wait, what what are we gonna talk about? Oh yeah, about? what are we gonna talk about? Because we, we should I could, probably have a topic. <laughs> we could just go on about your awesomeness, but uh being that you are a prolific dungeon master, let's pick your brain here because I know that you can teach me and our listeners a thing or two about dungeon mastering. One of the things we talk about a lot in this segment is is game preparation. And a lot of us who have never really prepped for a game don't really know what does that mean exactly? Like when I take notes, I do this. Well, I, I don't even know what people are taking notes and stuff on. 
uh, you were gracious enough to, to volunteer to actually show us, um, like actually show us with a sharing the screen and maybe we'll go ahead and have you cue that up so we can make sure yeah. that works. But to actually see your notes for how you prepped for an adventure that you wrote that is called The Pie Fight, which uh, listeners can find on the DMs Guild. It's an, an adventure for sixth level characters. It's a three-hour adventure, so I immediately was anticipating like 60, 70 pages. No. Nah. <laughs> That's what I felt like. It's nah. like 10. Um, and as I was going through the adventure, um, I thought, wow, you, you did a really good job just even in the text for like kind of laying things out for, for Dungeon Masters and uh, for the, you know, the read aloud text and like what to set up and things like that, which is really good for us as newbies out there. So, but I'm real curious to learn how would a new dungeon master go about prepping? Yeah. What do we do? Yeah. So let's get into it because yeah, that is the kind of thing that you hear about when it's like, let's uh, do your first time as a DM and now prep this adventure. And a lot of people can just skip over that whole thing, which is hard to do. I cannot share my screen because screen sharing is disabled. Oh, so is that on our end? I it says host has disabled participant screen sharing. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh yeah, so, screen sharing is disabled. Okay. We, we that's can, okay. We will we can just talk about this okay. with the two of us and and that is just fine. Because here's the thing about prep. Okay. Um the hardest part is that when you first start there's a ton of advice out there and all of it is correct about how to prep an adventure because everybody eventually kind of develops your own style. And as you DM and as you prep for either individual sessions or a one-shot like what we're going to talk about, a lot of it becomes learning about the things that you really need and learning about the things that you can forget about. So oh. I'm going to kind of go over what I think are the basics. Okay. And I think a one-shot is the best way to do this because it's, like you said, it's a smaller thing. Like my adventure is 10 pages and that includes a, a credits and a, a, an opening page. Uh, Candlekeep Mysteries just came out and most of those adventures are 10 to 12 pages. It's the same kind of thing. It's, it's, it's a digestible thing. So it's not quite as... as um, <laughs> it's not quite as daunting as trying to look at, say, Curse of Strahd and go, oh, that's a lot of right. pages. Um, yes. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preface this with my grain of salt, which is what I tell you is what I do, and I think what a lot of DMs do. And eventually you will find that some of the stuff that I tell you to do, you don't have to do. And some of the stuff that I don't, that I say, ah, you don't have to do this quite so much, you might need to do. It's an iterative process. You're you're going to be great the first time you do it, and then you're going to get better every time you do it uh, since. So we've just picked up the pie fight. You have uh, graciously bought my silly adventure. <laughs> the first thing, and this sounds like such a basic thing to say, but I think even experienced dungeon masters forget about this. Sit down and read the entire adventure. And I don't mean read it with a notebook. I don't mean read it taking notes or highlights or anything. I mean, just sit like it's a novel and just read through it and enjoy what you're reading and, and just kind of soak it in. And the reason this is really important is, is 
a couple fold. One, this is going to let you have those moments of discovery that are important later on when you're running the game. Those moments in the adventure when you're reading along going, oh, that's cool. Or, oh, I really like that. Those are moments that are going to be the cool, I like that moments when you're running the game. And so let yourself have those moments. Also, when you do then go back to dig into stuff and tear things apart, you'll have the whole scope of the adventure under your belt. You'll know the beginning, middle, and end. You'll have an idea that there's some important NPCs and places and locations. You'll have gone through that whole adventure, and you'll know what to expect. So don't put the pressure on yourself when you first sit down to read the adventure to make any notes. Don't don't do anything except sit and enjoy. And you then know, you're right. Simple advice. Yeah. But that makes a huge difference to me because I feel like even as I was reading this adventure, I was like, okay, I got to like think about like the questions and like, what am I? Y- yes. Enjoy it. Enjoy the story first. Yes. Love exactly. It. And I think, I think it's absolutely normal when you are reading through an adventure and you know you're going to run it for your players to have those things come up. Oh, I should remember this question. Oh, you know, And that's just going to be normal. But to try to just sit and absorb it, then that's, it's going to help when you do then sit down with a piece of paper and a pencil or a Word document or, you know, whatever you're going to do. Uh, and apparently we can now share. I just saw that too. <laughs> All right. The wizards have worked their magic. Yeah. We just, we just had to. <gasps> Something's happening. Yay. Right. Can you see? I can. My, so here's the pie fight. Yay. So obviously what we're going to do is is talk about how we're going to break down this adventure. I'm not going to read it out for everybody right now. The, that's not important. What we're concerned about is, you know, when you then sit down, what are you looking for? What are you, what are you trying to do? And so let's say we've now read through this entire adventure, all 10 pages, in, including the credits. We've right. taken a long time to look at these very, you know... <laughs> <laughs> the very oh, specific credits. That's you know? Luke's art that's in there? Oh, yeah. So this Oh, is, I didn't know that. Spoilers for the pie fight. It includes a fight at the end that is a legendary pie monster. Which That, that is awesome. Yeah, Luke, Luke is amazing. So we've read through this entire adventure. Maybe we've had some questions in our mind. Maybe we have um, thought about a couple of things we want to do. But now we're going to actually sit down. And the, the core to me for prepping an adventure is basically coming up with a game plan, a a short little list of things that I want to have on hand really quick so that I don't constantly have to be referencing the full adventure. Um, In a way, it's going to be kind of a bulleted list for me of the important things that I need to be able to look at at a glance because I don't need to memorize this whole adventure. That's that's silly. That's what I need to know, though, is o- the overall scope, the scenes I need to hit, and the important things I need to be able to reference quickly so that when I'm running the game, I'm not having to go. And then we go here. <laughs> so so the first thing, and we're going to come on over to uh, my template here. Oh, nice. Okay. So uh, there's there's a lot of people that I have taken inspiration from and uh, when I've developed my own style of how do I prep for adventures, uh, Chris Perkins at one point, many, many years ago, I think he was at a convention, mentioned how 
Um, he says you're prepped for a specific session, and that's what a one-shot basically is. It's a session of D&D. It might mm -hmm. be an entire adventure, but it's still a session of D&D. But you're prepped for that, and your notes for that should really only be about a half a page. <gasps> right? Oh, really? Well, oh, when okay. you think about it, and, and we'll kind of go over this. Okay. Um, a half a page is a, can be a lot of information. And you want something that's easily and quickly uh, reference. You can reference it really quickly so that yeah. way when you're in the moment and you're trying to remember an NPC's name, you're trying to remember, you know, anything that's going to be coming from that adventure that you're not making up on the fly, you want to be able to reference it super fast. Um, and some of this is from uh, the, the Sly Flourish, the Lazy Dungeon Master, yes. uh, who I also, when you're, when you're ready to move on into prepping for an entire campaign or even longer adventures, I do recommend them. The same kind of thing. Their, their goal is how do you make this easy on yourself? How do you make this so that it's just what you need and not superfluous information that can overwhelm you? So what I boil an entire adventure down into is basically an opening, what okay. are the important scenes, and an ending. And okay. that's going to be kind of it. There's going to be some information in there, but especially for a one-shot, you need to know where you're going to start. And, you know, I'll kind of go through this with our pie fight in a second. What are the important scenes? What are the, the, the places you're going to go, the things you're going to do, the things you think your party is going to do? Is there an important location? Is there an important event? You know, what are the, think of it like a movie. What is this scene? What is this scene? What is this scene? And where is the ending? Because okay. you do want to get to an end. And you definitely how you get do. There, yeah. And how you get there and how that ending looks can morph as the adventure happens. But there's probably an ending. And that so, seems like it might be more important in a one shot because you don't have the luxury of just like, let's just keep, oh, we didn't get there today. We'll be back next Wednesday to keep playing. You really kind of have an, an, a shorter amount of time to complete the beginning and the middle and the end. You can. Um, and especially if it's the kind of thing and where you're going to be running it and you have a, a, a hard out, as it is. You only have a certain amount of time. Mm -hmm. um, certainly, I think players are going to be more receptive to being guided a bit more in a one-shot than they will in a campaign. Because they're, when you sign up for a one-shot, you're kind of signing up for that train ride. You're, you're getting that acceptance right. that, all right, we're playing this specific adventure. If you tell us that we're going to a pie festival, we're not going to turn around and leave town. Like, that's kind of the give and take. Right. Okay. Um, so your players should be on board with the, the, the conceit of the adventure. Um, and that's where we're going to start. So I've read over the entire adventure, and now I'm going to sit down and kind of plot out what's going on. And okay. I think it's important to think about, for a moment, how do we start? How do we get our players on board with this adventure? What is the opening scene? If this was a movie, the credits have finished rolling, where are we? And I personally think you need a line, just, just a, a single line of where is the, the place and time your players are being dropped into. And then you can, from there, if there's box text you want to read off, if you want to make up things as you go, if you want to just have the, the general idea in your head because you've read through the adventure and so you know what this town looks like, 
you can kind of go in a bunch of different ways from there, but it's really important to have that. What's, what's that first line? Okay. So, uh, so I literally just have a hook or an opening right here and we'll, we'll see. I've already, I've already oh, done the work. This I've is so already, cool. It's like being on a cooking show and like, these are the ingredients you need. Oh, wait, here it is. Coming out <laughs> I of just my happened oven. to have a pie <laughs> just already happened to be already, already baked. I should also mention because this is a podcast, um, but we do, we will have this video up on YouTube. So for those of you that actually want to look at Lauren's notes, come uh, come on over to YouTube and um, check out this episode there. It'll be all laid out for you. And and I will try to be good for our podcast listeners at home, since I am a podcast fan, to read off whatever is important. Um, so we're starting off with a hook, with an opening. And okay. literally what I've just written is, the PCs are at a pie festival and discover there's a plot to ruin it by cake fans. Okay, so there you, yeah. that's not crazy. That's pretty straightforward. <laughs> it's pretty straightforward, right? It gets the idea across. If as a DM, if that's how I open things for the players, if I say you are here at this pie festival and uh, that's that's where we're going, you know, and, and I'm going to spoil things and be like, there's a plot to, to have it be ruined and that's where we're going with this. There you go. We've started the adventure. Um, and so from there, we're going to map out some of the scenes. What is our first scene? So the pie festivals split into, since I've read over the whole thing, I know this. The pie festival is basically split into two parts. There's a part that is let your players enjoy the pie festival. Here's a stall over here. Here's some music over there. Here's a thing going on. You know, there's a bunch of different activities for them to engage in. And those activities can be fun. Those activities can include some hints about some of the more nefarious things going on. And then the second half of the adventure is a fight. Okay. It's pretty simple. It's, we got pie, pie and we got fight. You gotta, and it's in the title. Exactly. It's <laughs> you're gonna enjoy pie and then you're gonna fight pie. That's now, what I would do. I also would like to just mention because I have the adventure in front of me, chapter one, literally the name is enjoying the festival. So like again, like as if you're thinking about prepping, like it's not like a book report. Well, kind of it is, but it's not like the answers are there. <laughs> like it's exactly. not you don't have to to like really like Spend hours and hours thoughtfully thinking, what is the purpose of chapter one? Lauren has given you the answer right there. And Lauren has taken a lot of inspiration from the published adventures that are out there, and both both short and long. So this is a fairly standard thing you will find in adventures that you get is a lot of the information that's in a book. Uh, you know, let's let's talk about some of the, the bigger adventures out there, stuff that you're going to run for a campaign. It can seem daunting, but a lot of that is just information that you as the DM are going to read over that's going to explain things that you're not going to need to go back and reprep. The If we switch back over to that beginning of the pie festival, a lot of this enjoying the festival is just helping the DM understand the basics of what's going on. It's got mm -hmm. this little bit of box text that you can read if you'd like. If not, you can read this over and be like, all right, this, this gives me an idea of the setting so that I can now describe this in my own words. Yeah. Um, what is this chapter going to do? And then it splits everything out. So a lot of even this first page is not necessarily anything that you need to worry about prepping. It's something you're going to read over so that you as the DM know it. 
all right, I know we're at this this town. I know what the the basics of the plot are, and I know what scene one is going to be. Scene one is. Uh, if this is a movie, once again, my players have reached the front, the the front of the street, and they're looking down the main road that has been turned into this festival. And there's carnival barkers, and there's music, and there's smells, and there's all of this stuff. And really, as a DM, all I need to know is we're at a pie festival, and I've read this over. So the next thing is, all right, let's describe that scene. And so. As a DM, what I would do at that point is go through this first chapter of the adventure and take note of each of these important bits of uh, places that people can go. In this case, for the Pie Festival, it is where are all of the stalls? What's happening at each of the stalls? Who are the important people I'm going to meet at these stalls? And is there a thing that needs to happen or can happen? And if we go back to our template, you'll see that's what I'm thinking about. What is the purpose of this scene? What are the important plot points? Who are the important NPCs, locations, and monsters? And that way, when I come back, when I'm running this game for, when I'm running this game for Shelly, instead of having to look at the adventure and read, uh, Mm -hmm. I have literally just bulleted points. Where are we? Who are the people I need to know? Who? what's the important bits I need to know. For example, one of the first places you can go in the pie festival is this place called Hawks Preserves. It is a stall that is literally just a place you can go and buy jams and jellies for the insides of pies. There is a human proprietor in her 60s named Selga Hawkbleeder, <laughs> and she's selling gems and jellies for two to five silver pieces each. That line is everything I really need to know about this. Now, the actual adventure, we'll go into a little more detail. Um, There's something else that you can do during that part of the adventure. Um, It gives descriptions of some of the flavors of jams and jellies that you can get. And depending on what you feel is important, you know, maybe, ah, you know what, I can come up with the names of jams and jellies off the top of my head. Or I'm going to have my players just whatever they say. Hey, do you have a banana? Yes, I do. Hey, do you have a fig? Yes, I do. But maybe I don't. Maybe that's a a thing that I'm going to be bad at. I would put that in here. Um, But this is is what I'm talking about of like, what are the really important things I need to know for this scene when they walk into Hawks Preserves? Well, now I got the NPC they're going to talk to. I've got a very basic idea of of what kind of... uh, character she is why is she there and why are my players there and that's it and since i've read the adventure if i need more i can go i can go back i can reference real quick does that make sense totally like it's really breaking it down for me and i love this now the key to this is going to be as you continue to do this uh as you prep your second adventure as you prep your third adventure you're going to learn the things that are really important for you specifically okay. and the things that are maybe not as important. Um, for me, I'm really bad at names. I'm super bad at names. I cannot make up a name or else everybody's Bob. So I need those names. Selga is super important. The rest of that, I'll just make up a person on the fly. That I feel confident in doing. But that's only after I've had the chance a couple of times to 
practice my DMing and practice my improv and learn that. So um, you'll find the important things that you need to put into this will change over time. And that's super okay. Uh, let's go to a more complex one. Okay. Let's go to the actual pie-eating contest that you can enjoy. Okay. So the pie-eating contest is a stall that's there at the adventure that the NPCs can participate in. And not only is there an event that's going on, but now we're going to introduce some of the plot. Some of the undercurrent of what's going to happen in the second half of this adventure can start to happen here. And so what is the purpose of this scene? Well, the purpose of it is a fun thing for the PCs to do, but it's also to have a moment in where the, the fact that the cake bakers are super upset with this pie festival is going to come up. So we'll want to make sure that we make a note of this. The pie eating contest, we got our NPC there who's running it. Give, give us a brief description. Uh, what are they doing? They're running the contest. What is the contest? Well, I've taken the information about the contest, which is described in fairly good detail in about four paragraphs here. I, mm -hmm. And I have condensed it for my own use into three sentences with the DCs that I need and the checks that I need and town folks and everything. Because I don't need it to sound pretty. I don't need it to be in complete sentences. I don't need any of that. Right. I need Just to know your my notes. Exactly. I, when my players say, pie festival, yes, I want Give me pies. I can be like, all right, uh, you're going to go up to the table and uh, everybody's going to get a thick caramel pie with a Ugh. spoon and the guy's going to yell, go. And we're going to go into rounds. And now you're going to have to do a strength check every round. Everybody roll a strength check. Uh, DC for this first round is going to be 10. And now I know the, it's going to go up by two every round. I'm going to roll for a couple townspeople over here. They get a plus one. Oh, you got a nine? Sorry, you're out. Oh, uh, who's the, the person who wins is the one who lasts the longest and the ties are broken by the highest roll. There you go. Okay. That, that's everything I need to know to run a fest, to run a little pie competition. And the nice thing about this is once they start rolling, those are moments during the gaming where I'm like, what also happens? Oh, yeah. This is what the winner gets. And here's the plot that happens. So I've got everything I need to know to run this little event. Also, I now have this other NPC, Bargriff, who's going to try to steal the coupon that is the thing that you get. And why are they stealing the coupon? Well, they got promised some gold by a local cake baker. And, oh, yeah, it's a perception check in order to find the guy. So that description is all here in this sidebar in nicer language, in full sentences, uh, with maybe a little bit more information about like, oh, well, what happens if a character decides to try to see what's going on? What happens if the guy gets caught? You know, all of that. But I've distilled it down to the one sentence that I need, and I can kind of go from there. Does that make sense? Yes, but I'm wondering... Yes. Like... So you, you've got the pie eating contest going on. You're you're narrating that. You're rolling for the townsfolk. Your players are rolling. At what point do you let them know that this that this character is trying to steal a coupon? Do you ah. say like like how do you work that in? There's a bunch of different ways, and this might be something that I've thought about when I am uh, prepping this. And and if this is a question that you've thought up, oh how how do I let them know? then maybe this is something you want to include in your prep notes. Okay. So in the adventure, it says it's a, a perception check DC 10. 
maybe I'm just going to ask. I'm just going to ask my players during the second round. Hey, everybody give me a perception check. Okay. Uh, maybe I'm going to use some passive perceptions. I, I know my rogue has got a passive perception of 15. And that passive is high enough to catch Bargriff uh, stealing the coupon. And so I'm just going to let the rogue know. Maybe um, there's another reason why I might call for it. So that would be a good thing to, to put in here for my prep. I might say, uh, check passive perceptions, um, call for a roll. Okay. On round two. Okay. And okay. so this is this is the kind of thing I would put in my notes if 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 I was reading through the adventure and got to that point. It's like, all right, well, it's nice that uh, they give me the DC to notice that this guy is stealing a coupon. When do I do that? Yeah. Um, and so this this now helps, you know, you've now asked yourself that question and you can take a moment and kind of answer it so you don't have to answer it on the fly. Right. And maybe you won't have to. Maybe this is the kind of thing during the game and where you've got the rogue who is just always on the lookout for everything and they're, they're rubbernecking wherever you go. But now you've got that right there. Does that make Perfect. sense? Yes. All right. And then, as you can see, I've done this with some of the other events that are going on. Because scene one, to me, is the first half of this movie, which is all of the stuff that the characters can do at this pie festival. Because it is a dynamic space, because it is um, it is branching paths in a way. They, the characters may go and do all this in any order. I kind of need to have all of this information all in one scene so that if they decide, oh, the first thing we actually want to do is go dance with the lizard folk band that's dancing around. I'm like, all right, I got them right here. I, I know who they are. Um, what, do, what do I need to know? Well, they're a lizard folk band. They're, you know, here's the perception check to see some sullen cake bakers hanging <laughs> around. <laughs> That's, that's all I need. And now they're going to hang out. Maybe two of my adventurers are going to go off somewhere else. Well, I've got all the other stuff going on here at the Pie Festival. So that's all scene one. And once again, the things I am focused on when I'm preparing to run that scene are the really important bits that I want to be consistent with. What's the purpose of this scene? What are the important plot points? Who are the important people? What are the important locations? And are there any monsters? Okay. It makes right. it, it really does make it simple. And I'm glad that we're looking at it so we can see that as well. Well, and the question you had was an excellent one because that is something that will come up as you're going through and being like, okay, I'm going to, you know, prep this. I'm going to prep this cow milking contest. I'm going to prep the pie eating contest. Oh, what happens if? What happens if? And some of those what happens if that come into your head, you may immediately have an answer for. And it's not something you're going to need to write down because like, ah, I'll figure that's something I feel confident enough figuring out in the moment. Yeah. And some of those questions you'll come up with might stump you for a second. Like, oh, I don't know. Maybe I should write that down. Yeah. Well, I would have to write it down because I'm pretty sure I, I I honestly believe I would forget about the coupon almost being stolen because I would be so focused on the pie contest. <laughs> See, now, I would forget uh, Zachary Bellin's name. I can't even remember his name right now, and I have it right in front of me, and I wrote this adventure. <laughs> so, like, what you personally will, the things that you will forget, yep. like, everyone does. Nobody remembers everything that's in an adventure, even those of us that wrote them. So don't be afraid to just bullet point out all of yep. those little things and have them right there. Uh, let's move on to scene two. Okay. 
And we'll talk a little bit about this because scene two will actually involve combat. And that's why, if you'll notice here, uh, and for our podcast listeners at home, I will explain, it's actually a lot shorter than the first scene. I noticed that. Yeah. Well, combat is one of those things in D&D that takes prep but in a different way. And a lot of the prep is actually usually done for you in the adventure because if we come back to what, you know, what are the things that we're looking for in a scene? Well, what's the purpose of this scene? Well, the first ha- the first scene was enjoy the pie festival. Now the trumpets have gone off and the festival is coming to an end and we're going, the, the entire crowd is being pushed to the end of the festival, which is when Lord Cumdor Shatterfury is going to sample the pies that are in the official festival and decide on which one is going to win. And the entire town is coming to this this end of the festival. All the shops are closing down. Everybody's closing down. And so the second scene is here at the grand finale. And it really doesn't include that much. What is the purpose of this scene? Well, the festival is closing. There's going to be this final tasting and disaster is going to strike. That's really all you need to know. Now, who's involved in this? Well, we got Lord Cumdor Shatterfury. Who is he? Uh, he's he's a male dwarf. I got a couple of of uh, adjectives in there to help me describe them. Uh, what are they doing? They're tasting the final pies. There's more information in the adventure, but that's going to help me remember right off the top of my head. Oh, what's going on? There's also this cake baker who's going to show up and who's going to cause havoc by animating one of the pies into the legendary pie monster. And when that happens, the guards are going to be concerned with all the innocent people around, but you, you're adventurers. You're going to fight the pie. (laughs) And if you're adventurers who are like, nah, we don't want to fight the pie, then the pie's going to fight you. So really the second half of the adventure is (laughs) you're fighting a pie. Yes. Now... I don't need to reproduce all of the information about the the legendary pie monster in my notes. What I need to know is, oh, this is where the pie fight happens. Stats are at the end of the adventure. Plus, I need the swarm of insects, which is in the monster manual, page 338. And that's all I need to know. So at this point during the uh, during the prep, I've prepped basically the entire fight. I've read over the stats of the monster. I've read over kind of the the situation. And so I know how the monster is going to attack. I know what's going to happen. I don't need to reproduce any of that here. I'm just going to pull up the monster stats. And I'm going to pull up the monster manual with the other stats that I need. And I'm going to run a combat. And that is just... That's really all I need to know is, all right, here's the stats for this, here's the stats for that, and here we go into combat. Um, since this is a legendary pie monster, it does have some legendary actions and some layer actions. It's a little more of a complex monster than some basic monsters that are out there or even just some, you know, here's a swarm of rats kind of thing. Um, so if you're feeling nervous about running a combat, you might want to have prepped ahead of time 
the initiative tracker. You might want to prep ahead of time, you know, however you want to actually coordinate combat, whether it's going to be theater of the mind, whether it's going to be on a grid, whether it's going to be some combination of the two, you might want to have that all prepped in advance. But the actual fight, all the information you need is just right here in the stat block. And Does that make sense? Yes. And there's good stuff in here. The banana peel, I love. <laughs> I love that the pie monster can summon fruit flies. <laughs> yep. I kind of like the geckos. I, I, I specifically mm-hmm. like the, because I just, I think geckos are cute and they've got those web feet. Yeah. Um, but yes, this is, this is, for those of you who are interested in the adventure, this is not supposed to be the deadliest of monsters. This is it's, supposed it's to pie. be. It's, it's a It's a pie. It's supposed to be a little more ridiculous than deadly, but it's got some pretty, you know, devastating attacks. Yeah. It's not the, nothing. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Um, If you're prepping and you're not looking at making any adjustments, then you're good to go. I think at this point, since you, you know, since you've picked up this adventure that talked about level six adventurers, this stat block is, should be good for level six characters. But this would be the moment when you're prepping and where if this is a bunch of level four characters or maybe you got a bunch of level nine characters and where you'll look into doing adjustments uh, before you play. All right, we're going to increase or decrease hit points and things like that to make this a a challenge for the party that I have. But especially when you're first starting out as a DM, I would recommend find yourself an adventure that's geared for the party that you have. That's, that's good advice because I don't know the first thing about uh, balance and... That's its scaling own, down and scaling up. That's its own other. You're going to yeah. find some other person who's going to sit in one of these boxes and talk to you about that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, but, but at this point, we're not going to worry about those kind of adjustments. And then if we come back to our our template over here, that's scene two. Scene two is show up, fight a pie monster, yay! Yeah. And then we come to the end because that's that's a natural ending. Uh, so the the denouement in this is anything that you think you're going to need to help wrap up the adventure. Well, you know, Lord Shatter Fury is probably going to reward the players. What do they reward them with? Um, what did the the baker who caused all of this, did, you know, did they have anything else on them? You know, they've been taken into custody and you search their, uh, search what they've got. Do they have any other weapons? And what happens to the the person responsible at the end and now you kind of know that and you can wrap everything up in a nice little bow and if you're running out of time then maybe this is the thing you just narrate and if you've got a little more time or if things are a little more flexible and your players want to do some other things or maybe at this point they're like well but we want to go back to the pie festival maybe now it's like all right well they reopen the festival for you and you go back and you can go do some of the other stuff. But this gives you that nice little ending and in the adventure that's kind of wrapped up with resolving the fight. And it's a couple of, of, you know, it's all this information that I've literally distilled down into three sentences and a bit. I know it's It's important bits that I need. It is very impressive that you can have basically a page of, notes bullets yep or through a three-hour adventure and i feel like it's doable it's super doable now there's one other thing that i would suggest at this point so you've 
kind of part one is read the whole adventure. Mm -hmm. Part two is kind of the meat of prep. It is going through the adventure and distilling everything down into these bullet points and, and everything. And then if you can, my suggestion is to then go back through your prep notes and delete things and get rid of things and yes. pare things down. And maybe it's information that you don't need. Maybe it's information that you put in there and the more you think about it, you're like, ah, I can just make, I feel confident in making that up on the fly. I don't need that here. Maybe it's things like, this is a adventure that is set for three hours, but I've only got two. So let's just get rid of this whole cow milking contest part. That just no oh. longer exists. And you really did just delete it. <laughs> I'm just going to delete it out of there. You know what? Of all of the things that can happen at this this pie, uh, this pie fight, at this pie festival, the I want to be able to ha experience everything else. But the, the cow milking contest didn't appeal to me, didn't seem like fun. I think there's too much in here already. And so that, it just doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> it's no longer in the adventure. I think and, that's a real, yes, a good... Uh, lesson there because I, I can already tell I know me I over prep um I over take notes I can see that you I would have a lot of bullets I would probably end up almost rewriting the adventure in bullet form because I would be so afraid I'm gonna miss something or forget something so I think that editing part is really important but I also think that the more you do this, then probably the better you are at, at plucking out, seeing exactly what those elements are to distill an adventure down to its very basic bullets. Absolutely. And don't be afraid to overprep when you're first doing it. Don't let yourself... We hear a lot about I overprepare. And yeah, that is a thing that DMs can do, that they can overprepare, that it is dangerous to do that, or, you know, it takes yeah. up way too much of your time. Um, I'm here to tell you it's okay. Because <laughs> when you are first DMing, when you're first learning your own style, when you're first learning how to prep, you don't know what overprep is. No. And... Over-preparing is something that you only figure out after you know, oh, I don't need to sit down and write out a description of every single location. I can come up with that on the fly. And so that is my over-preparation. -pre I yeah. just need like two or three lines or two or three words sometimes. But I better have a list of names. I better have that name, those names nearby. I can come up with, you know, five or six houses in a town, but I need the town square and I need the town map. That really only comes with some of this experience. And so, yeah, the first time you sit to prep an adventure, you're going to do that. You're going to bullet point everything. You're going to have too much in there. So let, let yourself do it. Give yourself the extra time. Be kind to yourself. Go back afterwards and see if you can pare a few things down. See if mm -hmm. you can remove a few things. Even if you've taken a 10-page adventure and now you've gotten it to two pages worth of notes. Two pages that's worth great. of That's great. There you go. That's, yeah. that's still, not only have you now made it easier for you on the fly to find the information that you need, you've now gone through and thought about this adventure a lot. It will be in your head. Yes. When you sit down to roll dice with your friends, 
you're going to remember going through these things. You're going to remember at least writing things out and where you put it on the notes and everything. And so when you do take the moment to look at your notes, you're going to be able to grab it really fast. You're going to know exactly where it is. And, and then, the other thing, like you, you'll have the adventure there too. And you'll have the adventure. And it's perfectly okay, I think, to say to your players, I don't know. Hang on. Let me look that up. I don't remember. Like, 100%. Nope, you, I experienced dungeon masters still flip through books and ask like i don't know actually know what did you there you you tell me like it's it's fine right it is it's okay it is also a hundred percent okay for you to have prepped something and sit down and remember it wrong and look over at your notes and decide to just go with, with what came out of your mouth instead of what's in the notes hey if you just can because- do that that i say good job it it will happen. It'll 100% happen. You will think that you've remembered something and it will be, it'll probably be something small. It'll be the DC of a perception check. It'll be the name of somebody. It'll be, um, oh, the pioneering contest is actually run by Selga, whereas Hawks Preserves is run by Zachary. And that's fine. And that's fine. And that's that's super okay. And the the gorgeous thing about it being all here in in your notes is if you need to, you can take 10 seconds and just switch those names. <laughs> there you go. Be done. They're your notes. They're your notes. Players mm-hmm. are never going to know. Um, and then my, my final bit of advice yes. as you go on through this is, uh, so you're going to do this for these one shots. You're going to do this for this. All right, we're going to play for two, three hours and we're going to be done. It's going to be great. And eventually, you're going to want to do a campaign. You're going to want to do something longer, maybe something that's going to take three or four sessions, five or six sessions. Your prep should be pretty much the same. Oh, my gosh. The difference is that instead of me prepping an entire adventure all at once, I'm now going to prep just a session. All right, what does the next session involve? What is the opening? What are the scenes I want to hit? Where do I want to end? And the only difference is that where do I want to end might be a to be continued instead of a, and you've won! Yay! So once you kind of get used to doing this prep and and how your prep works and what you need to get ready for a one-shot, the difference between that and a longer campaign is that the adventure is bigger. That's it. Okay. Okay. I mean baby steps to I mean, curse of baby shot. steps for sure, but this is <laughs> these are very good. This is like baby steps with a walker. Like it like really like the the ability to distill it down. I love the template and I love seeing how you filled in the template. So I feel like that's I'm gonna I actually feel like I want to go find an adventure and I want to do the bullets. I want to do the exercise. I want to do it. It's it. I found the bullet points is super useful, and and definitely that's why I was so excited about Candlekeep Adventures or Candlekeep Mysteries because yeah. they are adventures you can run in a setting in two or three hours. And so instead of learning how to prep and being confronted with a, a big giant tome that is a campaign, it's all right. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to prep this thing that's only ten pages. Yeah. Ten pages is that's that's fine. It's easy, you know. And so you can you can do it. And the the amount of information you need to to once again go back to what I remember Chris Perkins saying, which is keep it keep it short, keep it half a page, keep it simple, and you can as you just said, you can always reference the original adventure. Yep, 
Definitely. And you know what? Candlekeep Mysteries is actually a good... Maybe I'll practice on Candlekeep Mysteries and just see. Try one of the first level ones. Yeah. That'd be perfect. I love this. This and is... Then, and then once it's prepped, then you got to run it. I mean, I, I, it's just going to be laid out there for me. It's practically running itself. Exactly. <laughs> now you just need a couple of friends in three hours. <sighs> oh, okay. <laughs> We're getting um, you closer. We'll get, get closer, there. Shelley. We'll get there. I've def- if not me, I think somebody, you have definitely inspired other people listening because I you have so. really broken it down um, in a really easy way. Because that's well, always you. been a very daunting thing is the prep. Like really, what does the prep mean? So I think bullet points. Bullet points are your friends. Absolutely. Bullet All points. Advice. Keep things simple. You've got this. And read the adventure for fun first. I love that. I really do. I have never done that with an adventure. I always have to read it like, oh, I have to think about this immediately. How will the questions, where will we go? No, just enjoy it. Just enjoy it. We all do it. It's, it is just a thing, you know, that's, I was just doing it literally yesterday. Um, I was looking through an adventure that I was going, that I'm going to prep to run. And I was doing the thing of like, oh, well, I should think about moving this here. I should think about using that. No, no, no. Just sit and read. We'll move things later. Yep. You'll study things later. Yep. You'll just, just read it all the way through. Good advice. I knew you would have it. So Aww. thank you so much. Um, you are obviously, again, a wealth of information and just a great all-around person in the community. So if people haven't already discovered you, where's the best place for them to find you and see what great things you're working on? Twitter is the best place to keep in touch with all of the weird things that I do. It's I'm at Lauren. It's where I post pretty much anything that I'm doing, whether it be D&D or music or in between. That sounds wonderful. Okay. Well, I so appreciate you taking the time to walk me through this. Thank you so much. Thank um, you for having me. This is super fun. Well, uh, I'll have you on again. I mean, anything you want to teach us new Dungeon Masters about, you let me know. I I mean, the next thing I, apparently we got to do is, is, I don't know if I'm the person to talk about scaling adventures, but that uh, will be next. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> Deep breath, right, everyone. All right, all right. Deep breath, everyone. We'll just start here. Um, but yes, thank you. You are awesome as always. Thank you. Oh, bull crazy. I am, uh, super excited. She was an excellent dungeon master for the clerical air campaign that I played in. And, oh, yeah. uh, she's doing a, wonderful stuff uh for for many of our partners and uh you know all around wonderful person and hopefully when covid starts to end she'll do more uh a performance as an oboist because that's what it's all about yes and and then we can also have her come visit us at the office again Absolutely. she's just a ray of sunshine cool all right well let us get to our interview we're going to talk to jimmy wong right about now Everyone, let's welcome Jimmy Wong to Dragon Talk. Yay! Yay, Yay roar, Jimmy. dragons. Woo! <laughs> Woo! <laughs> roar. Very, 
very excited to have you here and roar. That was that was the most enthusiastic roar I've ever roar. heard Thanks. in a dragon. Yeah, thank you, thank you. I've been practicing uh, for days. It's dragon for talk, one. not dragon roar. <laughs> yeah, dragon. Hello, dragon. everyone. Roar. Let's talk like Smaug. Um, He's got the coolest voice. That Yeah, that Benedict Cumberbatch. He's got it. Or are you talking about the old school, the Rankin Bass uh, Smaug? Oh, <laughs> no, I, I'm talking about Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> So good. Yeah. Uh, well, we're excited to talk to you because you have, uh, you know, a long history doing lots of, uh, I guess, digital content is the way they call it that. But, you know, it was just being, you know, YouTube and video and now it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's holistic. Uh, many folks on our uh, sister brand, Magic the Gathering, know you from hosting tons of stuff uh, yep. in that regard. But you're also a D&D player and fan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Yay. I love all things board game, gameplay fantasy and all that and it's been something i've just been slowly getting more and more into over the past geez decade now i i gotta be honest i have i have seen you appear in many magic videos <laughs> and i have heard the magic team talk about you for years and i always thought well he seems cool like why can't he be into D? <laughs> and i didn't know that you were that you also played D until we interviewed chrissy costanza who yes. told us about her First time playing D anD D, which mm-hmm. you were in that game. Yeah, she is fantastic. I yeah. love Chrissy. I think she's just one of the top performers and personalities I've ever met in my entire life. Um, and playing D anD D with her was great because she just has incredible natural instinct when it comes to taking a dive. You know, like taking a, a risk. There's a lot of I think um, just sort of like trepidation for first time players because they don't know what they're doing. They don't know if they can do stuff. They don't even know if they can ask the DM if they can do stuff and what control they have. So being able to play with someone like Chrissy was really, I think, inspiring because I think a lot of new players can watch that and get a good idea and taste of like, oh, cool, you you can really stretch what's happening, you know, in terms of your control over the game, depending on the situation, of course. But, you know, don't be afraid. Definitely take some risks and you're going to be happier as a result. That's true. Yeah. yeah, it's like that person who's like new to karaoke who like you know, <laughs> gets up there with a the mic and they start singing and then they feel the song and they go they go all out. Like right. I, it, it seems like you can do that as a as a new D and D player, and it's so much yep. more fun when you when you go, uh, you know, I want to say balls out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, go nuts, yeah. right? Like, uh, don't, it's not. I'm not saying like take off the seatbelt, but you know, you can <laughs> you can push the speed limit a little bit in the game. Right. Yeah. Her first experience, I mean, she didn't have any choice but to love D&D. Not, not, like, mm-hmm. It was a great group she was playing with, but also like about being on the undead horse or the nightmare and carving yeah. it in half, basically. Like she had like, she had some amazing moments, um, cinematic moments in the game that I think, what choice did she really have? Jimmy. She- yeah, I mean, she's right. She was like playing a roguelike character. She could have hidden <laughs> is the yeah. other option and go for a backstab or something. But she's like, no, I'm going to ride this thing. And, yeah. you know, obviously, you know, in the, the situation that we are in, we weren't going to kill a character uh, or like do so much damage that they're out of the fight. But it's also something that is means that you're taking the situation and adding your own life to it. And what you might actually do in that situation, which is like, go nuts, go a little crazy, you know, do something a little more risky than uh, otherwise. Um, and so I think that's just, again, like good instincts. Um, and obviously it just contributes to a much more visual and fun campaign to watch and listen to. Yeah, I there is a, a lot to be said for first when people are first playing a character uh, or they don't know a lot about the particular class that maybe they're playing like a rogue maybe should 
you know, be hiding or stand in the back. Or a magic user doesn't need to be up in the fray. But it's always, it's just funny, like you said, like to see what their instincts are. It's like, I'm a wizard Mm. and I'm going to get up there and I'm going to punch you in the face. And (laughs) um, you don't have to do that. You learn. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) One time I played with someone and their character was just a buff wizard. They just, they maxed out their strength and stuff. And they like, I want to be really bad at spell casting and that's my thing. Like I'd rather, I'd rather be physically intimidating to people as a wizard. And we all thought that was just hilarious and you ran with it and it was a lot of fun. You got into wizardry school on an athletic scholarship and flunked out. What what uh, what kind of characters do you gravitate towards? You know, everybody's got I got a type. What was what was the first one you did, and was that? Yeah, the first character I think I ever made was a monk um, because I was I was definitely into like the how powerful can I be, and monks just had this really broad you know set of skills and abilities. It seemed like they could do a little bit of everything, so I loved that. I was like, great, this is awesome. I'm going to run around, punch people a bunch, whirlwind, whirlwind, fly around, dodge things. You can't touch me. Uh, I rolled really well in my stat generation as well, so I just was really overpowered for the campaign. Um, and then after that, you know, I just I like dabbling a lot. Uh, I play games like League of Legends and World of Warcraft, and you know, I, I when I grew up playing those games, I played a warrior and pretty boring hack and slash tank, whatever. And so in gameplay, I like to just sort of test around with other stuff. So to date, I've played a monk, I played sorcerer, I've played um, paladins. Um, I kind of like just seeing what all the different classes are, and you know, it's fun to learn. I think I want to do a druid at some point. Um, I play the bard as well, so I, I'm kind of a, all around. But I, I tend to stray away from just the the fighty McFight characters, the ones that are much more physical, um, just because I've done that before in gameplay, and so that doesn't interest me as much in the, the wonderful world of Dungeons and Dragons. Nice. What uh, what was the first uh, edition that you played? Were you, was it always fifth, or was it? Um, you know, did you I do think I started with ones? fourth. So I never played growing up. Uh, and, and the first campaign I played was like in 2012 or 13. So I guess if you can time connect yeah. that to whenever that, that would have been the tail end that of was. a fourth, yeah. Yeah, uh, I think sorcerers were really powerful at that point too. That's what someone told me. I remember casting counterspell once and being like, "Whoa, this is not fair." <laughs> I'm pretty sure a sorcerer can do that. <laughs> And then now you got to, uh, you know, there's all this talk about whether it's okay to do that as a dungeon master. You know, have your enemy spellcasters mm-hmm. counterspell healing uh, spells from your PCs that always feels feels wrong. Yeah, typically counterspell, and even in Magic the Gathering, right, is one of the very controversial things to do because people don't consider it fun to stop what someone else is doing. You know, it's more fun to allow players to like, yeah, let the thing I'm doing resolve and then deal with the after effects. So this sort of like, you wasted the full spell slot, you can't even do the thing, uh, creates a lot of feel bad sometimes. So I don't blame anyone for wanting to make your own sort of house adjustments to that sort of gameplay, if you think that your players are going to appreciate the version you're making better. I'm not going to lie, I love playing a blue deck that is just <laughs> counterspelling people in arena. It's, oh, you're that kind of person, I see. I, see. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking down uh, on my shirt because I do have, there was a, there was a swag t-shirt that had uh, nope in, uh, with, with <laughs> yeah, the blue yeah, mana yeah. symbol. I, I, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. I, I got a kick out of that. And it's only, I only have like one or two decks like that, but I have had games that have gone, you know, 45 minutes long just because mm-hmm. that's, that's all I'm doing is just not doing damage or anything, just preventing everyone else from Right. doing stuff and uh, right. even after a while like it's a little old mm-hmm. <laughs> fun stuff so yeah you've been doing um, uh, you know magic has this thing where if, even if you do 
Counterspell or do all these things. It has that kind of dueling nature of like, you know, you're having this magic mm -hmm. uh, battle back and forth. Um, and I've always thought that Dungeons and Dragons could do more of that. Not necessarily like the countering like we're talking about, but have those, those old school wizards duels uh, <laughs> shown in, in dramatic ways. Do you have any right. ideas on how to, how to do that add as that a dungeon master? Magic of the Gathering? Hmm, yeah. interesting. Um, I mean, add that into Dungeons and Dragons. It's interesting because the initiative system and the way that combat works, you know, you can spend three hours in combat, but only like a minute of real time passes. Mm -hmm. That sort of creates, I think like it's always down to each play group. I think if the dungeon master wants to structure combat in a way that does feel a little more 1v1 or even 2v1 or just has more interaction, they could probably just do away with the initiative system and figure out a way to make it feel more like, all right, you do something and then they respond, then they do something and you respond. Um, but it's so hard to, because that you're basically creating a new system at that point. Yeah. So it's tough. I mean, I think initiative has a lot of upsides and downsides. Um, but it's one of those things where like, there's tons of role-playing systems out there. I'm sure you could glean some inspiration from somewhere else to make it a little more interactive or to raise the stakes, right, in some way. I don't I know why you have to do that, Greg. No. <laughs> I just I just like the idea of of trying to do like the you know the Gandalf Saruman battle or like uh, yeah, the yeah, old school yeah. one from Sword in the Stone with uh, Mad Madam Mim and Merlin like doing their their uh, polymorphs back and forth. Uh, I, just, yeah. I just love that. Maybe maybe the key is to do less dice rolling in general, mm. um, unless it's more for more I guess significant decisions or harder to cast things. Because we were talking about like support roles, right? Let's say I need to jump up onto that ledge and someone is there and they can give me a boost up. I don't think that character needs to roll for it because they are, uh, you know, they're, if they're the kind of person that could just do it, then do it. Now, you know, I think maybe it's up to the characters to be like, well, you know, actually I injured my leg. So when I do it, maybe I slip a little bit and then the dungeon master can be like, okay, cool, take a 1d2 of damage or whatever it is, you know, or 1d4. Um, but I think like in general, it's, it's tough the more you have to roll for stuff because it adds that layer of uh, RNG that sometimes, I think personally that the dice never lie. Um, but there are times when like it adds, I think, a layer of complexity that maybe you can start experimenting with. You know, Take it back a notch, figure out what has to get rolled for, what doesn't. You know, I think perception is one of those things where like you can just get a base perception of stuff and then if you want to really see if there's something going on, then you have to pass some sort of higher check or whatever. That's smart, yeah. But I don't know. I mean, I'm not trying to reinvent D&D on the D&D podcast. I'm just giving ideas for, you know, if your play group wants to have more fun, ask them what they want and ask them what the pain points are. And I think, like, build towards that. I think the best play groups have a dungeon master that's really in congruence and, and sort of in the, on the same wavelength as the people playing with them. For sure, yeah. yeah. And what, you, what you're describing is not, like, redoing D&D. Like, that's just you know, personal play style of a dungeon master, right? Like, I think Yeah, house is, rules or whatever. Yeah, right, you know, or, 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 I mean, that's the way I do perception checks, right? It's only, like, when you're trying to find something that's hard to perceive that mm -hmm. a role is necessary. But if you're like, what color is this? Then you're like, well, I don't know, roll perception <laughs> to find out what color it is. I'm like, that, that doesn't make as much sense. Yeah, yeah, you could just see. <laughs> <laughs> Some people like rolling those dice, though. They want to just roll. True, true, true. Uh, it could be a fun downtime activity, perhaps, Taking your players to go see a wizard's duel in the neighboring town or something. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. As as a wizard, normally I don't. Want That's to what you do. You're a wizard, Shelley. Yeah, nice. I, I I do. I have strayed a little. I tried to be a ranger for a while because I thought I'm, it's too hard to manage my spells, and I just want to. <laughs> I just want to shoot a bow, but um, 
Right. But I, I always come back. I always go back to the magic. Mm-hmm. It's just like, it's, it's not nice. me. It's so far away from the real me. I just, that is my fantasy. <laughs> ah, I want to do that. Very nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So now, are you also a dungeon master, or you are you mostly a player? No, I don't think I have the uh, mental acuity sometimes to do a DM role because there's a lot of prep, right? You can't just walk in and be like, "All right, well, I've taken an improv class. Let's figure it out." Greg, um, you can if you're Greg. Yeah, <laughs> exactly his strategy. That's the way I do it. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> I mean, I think like because I've had a couple of campaigns that are like I've done ones like Curse of Strahd. We very much were by the book, and we added a few things here and there, and it was nice because the DM didn't have to do as much prep work, and they could focus more on like the how are they going to customize it a little bit. And then I've seen campaigns run where it's like the the DM comes in with a full on map. Uh, everyone gets an image on their phone or iPad or whatever, and 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 is going off of that. And it's super interactive. There's sound effects and all that stuff. I'm the kind of person I think where like if I wanted to do it right, I would kind of get up down that rabbit hole of like, all right, we're gonna set the mood. We're gonna light this candle tonight. Uh, we're gonna use these mm-hmm. miniatures. I'm gonna borrow these sets and blah 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 blah. So I think like there's too much perfectionism in me to be a DM right now. <laughs> there's too much work, and I don't have the time to put it in. I love being a player though and seeing what gets thrown at me. Because you're yeah. a, a filmmaker too, right? So like that, there's mm-hmm. there's a bit of that in dungeon mastering. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. and I think it's like directing. Yeah, in a in a lot of ways, directing and and hoping that your actors slash players want to follow the direction and don't completely throw a wrench in your plans because that's tough. Some people just (laughs) are there to create chaos and there's a lot of fun in that. Um, But I think a good dungeon master knows how to balance that with the campaign and also letting the players do what they want when they need to Um, because that's the joy of of D&D for a lot of people. It's just like, oh, that was so much fun when X person did this or whatever. Um, and that adds on this whole like, wow, had they not just decided to tackle them instead of doing the normal thing that the DM decided we wouldn't have been down this thing and doing X, Y, and Z and learning this about the character. So I think that's fun. For sure. Yeah. I think that's why I don't want to be a dungeon master. There's just too much. There's it's a lot. It's pressure. pressure too. Yeah, exactly. I'm with you. You know, like all the different player styles like you're talking about, it's, you know, I don't. I, I would find it really hard to balance letting them do what they want to do because it's mm-hmm. their game, but also like not to the point where it's stressing me, and I just don't right. know what to do with the rules. Yeah, so, I don't know. We're we're trying to play to to relax, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is a push and a pull for sure. Like you want to be, mm-hmm. oh yeah, this is your game. You want to make it awesome, but then you got to have some restrictions, or it feels just like well, then nothing means anything, you know. Right. Right, yeah, right, right, yeah, right. and that's a hard, hard balance. Especially, you're right with different personalities and different play types because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. those rules, you know, are, are different for each, yeah. each person. And yeah. you don't always know. They're especially if you're playing with new people. Like who someone is in real life is can be completely different to who they are as a player. Mm-hmm. So you don't always right. know the t- the player types, or and they don't even know their player types until you start mm-hmm. playing. And then, and then what happens? What happens if you don't like them as a player? <laughs> <laughs> you yeah, kill their character. What do you do? Um, the, uh, I my first dungeon master. Also, I feel like he was an adversary to the player. Like I, it always oh, felt like it was us against him, mm-hmm. and and it's been really hard for me to shake that because oh. I've never had another dungeon master like that. And the second dungeon master I had, I kind of like was aggressive. Right, <laughs> like, I'm ready for you this time. And they were I a get team it player now. or whatever, right? Yeah, and he was like. 
I'm just here to help you. Like I, do, I want you to succeed. I want to set mm-hmm. things up so that you're having a good time with it. And it's always been hard for me. This has been like, you know, over a decade of me re- having to remember like, the dungeon master is my friend. <laughs> dungeon master. <laughs> I don't yeah. know how to shake that feeling sometimes. Yeah, I mean, first impressions do make a big difference. Um, every experience is different. Every dungeon master style is different. You know, I I think I appreciate whatever people want to do that makes it feel best for them. You know, at the end of the day, you're spending hours and hours with a group of people. It's got to be something that everyone wants to get through together. And if you're creating yeah. an environment that isn't going towards that as a player or a DM, then that might be something that just to keep note of, right? And I think a lot of times the best play groups are the ones that can have honest conversations with everyone and be like, hey, so this for the next one, you know, I love that we're doing X, Y, and Z, but we have to keep it a little bit less on this thing because, you know, I don't want to have to add on three extra nights of D&Ding because we're always going to get the barter for the best deal at the shop, you know, every time or whatever that thing is, you know. Mm-hmm. I've had entire sessions that is that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yep. yep. Yeah. And I think that's a lot of where people who come outside of this fandom always ask, right? How many times have family members or, 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 or folks who don't play Dungeons and Dragons were like, well, how do you win? You know, like, yeah. when does it, when is it over? And you're like, well, this isn't Monopoly. This isn't Clue. This isn't like there's a, there's a finite end to it. It keeps going. Or, or people are like, where's the board? You know, and you're like, yes. well, we don't play with minis. And you're like, well, what's, what's that all about? So you, I, I know, Jimmy, you have a lot of you know, experience in, in board games and coming from, from a lot of Magic fandom. So how do, how, do you, how do you equate those two? Where like this is a much more of an open-ended, story-driven game of, of Dungeons & Dragons versus the, the hyper-competitive uh, uh, other types of games out there. Yeah, it's tough. I think like the main thing is just like it's, it's storytelling at the end of the day, and so people understand like we're telling a story together. Everyone plays a character and a role, and you can bring your own backstory and history, you know, and it's really easy to get into, um, and it requires a different amount of commitment from everyone. You don't need to be walking in dressed as your character and stuff to play. But embodying it, you may find more fun than that. Um, I think like in general, it's kind of like a choose-your-own-adventure book, but the mm. adventure gets written by you the entire time. The Dungeon Master is like a facilitator for that and creates the overall structure. But there is a lot of joy in sort of group storytelling. And if you're doing it with a close group of friends, if you love eating dinners with these people because you always end up sharing great stories from, you know, your past together, like it's got that feeling to it. You know, you're really working together as a whole and everyone's adding and changing things and making it their own. So it's kind of like a real fun, personalized story where you get to be the main character and tell the story at the same time through your actions. Yeah. You know, we're talking about misconceptions too. Like, Greg, you basically rattle off the top three questions I hear all the time <laughs> from new players. Uh, where's the board? How do you win? When does it end? Um but also like the storytelling angle, because we always tell like this is we're telling stories together. I have had I think it was my brother, actually. Um, he was under the impression that like you literally had to tell a story like, oh, OK, Jimmy, you go first. <laughs> That's a different and, type now, of game. and then you pass right. it on. And now it's like, OK, now I have to finish telling I see. that story. Yeah, and then yeah, Greg yeah. would go after. And that was like he was like, hell no. I'm not creative enough to come up with my own story. Like, I don't want to do that. And mm-hmm. I wonder now, how many people have thought that as well? Because that's really, I mean, the story is just 
part of the dialogue. It's not yeah. you don't have to come prepared with your own story. Yeah, I can understand why it's really intimidating for people because of that. They may not understand what's happening. Honestly, yeah. I think everyone's first D and D character, and this goes for acting as well and improv. Everyone's first couple of D and D characters or role playing characters are just basically different versions of themselves. Yeah, uh, and so finding out you know how to comfortably express that, and it's really important for the rest of the play group as well to be on the same page that no one is there to make fun of someone else for making a mistake or to you know belittle anyone else and creating a not toxic environment so everyone feels safe experimenting and, and sort of reaching into themselves and presenting another aspect or whatever it is but they get to do through do it through the safety of their character you know so i think that's yeah. something to to always emphasize yeah. yeah and so yeah you mentioned your acting uh career that's awesome that you're in so many things that people recognize, but probably you know from this year, Mulan. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, what was it like being in, in something so big? What a big production that must have been. So I rolled a warrior character, uh, <laughs> a soldier technically. Um, pretty low stats though, because we obviously had to get stronger um, and train. Uh, it was a really fun experience. It was definitely something that I will always remember and always reflect on and think about. Um, being in something that big, you quickly realize how little control you have um, so it's not like a D&D campaign, right? I can't go up to the director or take a look at the script and be like, you know what, I think my character would actually do this here. Because um, there is, you know, behind that script and that day of shooting and that scene, there have been months and years of preparation leading up to that. And, you know, 300 people on set waiting to execute the scene and have it get done. So you're, <laughs> you're like, I you're, want to do it differently. Let's just, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to multi-clan. Flip it upside down. <laughs> you're, you're kind of more of an NPC, I think, in that world than a uh, full-blown, like, D&D character. Um, and there are a lot of times when I've made content online and make YouTube videos and stuff. And I did a series called Video Game High School back in the day where it's a much more collaborative process because... You, you know, I was best friends with the director, and one of them was my brother. So, like, that <laughs> led to a lot more, like, you know what? I don't think this feels right. What if it was more along the lines of this? And then you kind of like bally it back and forth, and then you land on a place where everyone's happier as a result. Um, so, I think the bigger the, the budget of a movie is, the less of that you generally have. Now, there are some directors out there that will always push for their actors to improv on screen and to add their own flavor and element, but. Mulan was one of those projects with so many moving parts. You know, there are so many times where we'd be on set and there would be 20 people on horses that are trying to keep them calm and ready to film and that need to perform a very specific executed action to when the camera says rolling, go and all that stuff. And that is much more important than whether or not you want to say your line differently or do something differently. You know, at that point, you're just trying to make sure that you're not messing up, if anything. Hmm. And that you're giving the director and the team what they need for the scene to work. Um, so it's a bit more practical. Uh, and the creative expression, uh, especially on the sort of like the less major characters, is not as much. But there's that's not to say that you're you're not you're not acting anymore. And like no, you're still definitely acting. You're still definitely in the scene, in the character. You've done the the prerequisite training and all the work to get there. Um, just the way it's executed is a little more different. And it's a special thing to still be a part of that because you get to watch all these people working together in conjunction, in congruity, and making something that is much larger than the sum of their parts um, with some of the coolest and most talented people you've ever worked with. What were the uh, the costumes like as a as a D and D fan? I bet you know you're like, oh man, I finally get some swords and armor to be able to yeah. uh, swing around. 
Uh, very uncomfortable. I don't know how people <laughs> did it back in the day. <clears throat> like Lots of oil the, and lube, maybe, perhaps. <laughs> eh, the armor is pretty heavy, even though it's not made of real metal. Uh, and the swords we have are all prop swords as well, so they're like a PVC pipe. It's kind of like LARPing, really. I was just, um, yeah. <laughs> basically LARPing. Uh, it was like LARPing. Um, so, you know, we weren't used to carrying around, whatever, 25, 30 pounds of clothing on us. Uh, so we always, you know, for me, I was just like, I always made the customers cinch it as tight as possible so that I could carry more weight, not just on my shoulders, but like on my waist. And there would be points when you'd go back and you'd be like, oh my gosh, I am so sore just from wearing that all day. Mm. And it wasn't even the real thing. Um, but it was cool because it everything as an actor helps you get more into the role if you let it. So the armor, when you put it on, you look at yourself in the mirror, all of a sudden you are that thing a little bit more. Um, you know, it's not like a black box theater where you're running up in front of people and you don't have that costume change, right? Being in a movie, you're trying to establish the universe with so many different elements, um, all the way down to the socks and stuff that we wore as well, and the shoes and all that stuff to be historically accurate and to look correct and right on camera as well as to match the overall design and all that stuff. And, you know, we had, I think, 200 background actors at one point that we're all training uh, to basically march together, do military exercises together, and to build out the background. And so when you're able to walk with those people and to be in those groups and to be trained by the real people in the armor, you do, I think, you start to learn through experience what it might feel like to be that person that will contribute to your character a little bit, the way you handle yourself, hold yourself, say your lines, all that. So I think having that experience was great because typically you know, the costumes I wear are a jacket, a, a hoodie, uh, some pants. And so a lot of the acting is up to the actor to sort of fill in the blanks there. Um, but once you start putting on the armor and all that stuff, a, a lot of those questions get sort of auto-answered and you already, you know, it's a lot easier to arrive at the conclusions that you might have taken a lot longer to and you don't have those sort of contextual clues. Hmm. Is that uh, a contributing factor to why you play spellcasters now? Because you're like, I don't want to wear armor like that ever again. I was again. thinking that. <laughs> I was thinking as he was talking about the armor, I'm like, that's another reason why I'm going to just be a wizard. Yeah, I like if loose I ever, baggy robes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if I ever had to film a real life version of my D&D characters, I want the comfiest outfit ever. Yeah. <laughs> Wizards yeah. pajamas. I like putting distance between me and an enemy because getting clobbered for, you know, 3d8 or something is just not a pleasant feeling when that's like 90% of your life total. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. True, true. But I think that's why every, uh, you know, fighter D&D player out there should at least LARP or have some experience wearing that stuff because it is, it's, it's a huge part of what life was like, right? If we're trying to simulate mm-hmm. that kind of, you know, medieval fantasy... Um, you know, you kind of have to really realize, like, no, it takes a half hour to put on that armor, you know, and, mm-hmm. and you can't just go to sleep in it and wake up in it when, you know, you're getting ambushed or something like that. Like, totally. it adds a realism yeah, yeah. level to it that you have that nobody else has at this point. It's true. Lucky me. <laughs> and I've got the scars to prove it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, so for about a decade or so, you've been a, a content creator, mm-hmm. creating digital content. How... I'm trying to think. Okay, a decade ago would be 2011. Trying to think, like, was this something? Right? (laughs) Is how do you how do you get into this work, and how do you stay inspired? Oh, content creation. Yes. (laughs) So I started making videos because I was failing at getting acting jobs back when I moved here in 2010, 2011. Um, And I was like, I don't want to act on YouTube, but I played music my whole life. This is a talent that I have fostered and trained at for hundreds, maybe even thousands of hours at this point. 
Um, and so maybe I can translate that into making some videos just to get my creative outlet going. Um, and I knew how to edit. I knew how to film stuff to, on a basic level. So I had all of the tools in front of me as well as a really good environment to do stuff in because I lived with my brother who had been making YouTube videos for two years at that point. Um, and so I sort of got into content creation as a response to not having much else to do uh, as an actor because instead of waiting around all day submitting and hoping to get an audition, there's so much free time uh, and downtime that it would be really frustrating to not do anything with it. So I ended up playing a lot of video games and stuff too, obviously, and, and goofing off and watching you know, all of Avatar, The Last Airbender uh, on Nickelodeon. And there were a lot of sort of those moments but the thing that really drove me and gave me passion was like making a video and making a song and seeing the views click up, you know, like that's always a very um, adrenaline pumping thing. So there is a lot of uh, outside inspiration in terms of like you are in a great environment that will allow you to safely do this. And if you fall, ain't no thing. Pick yourself up, do it again. No one's going to remember. It's the internet. Still is kind <laughs> of the same in a lot of ways as long as you're not doing things that inherently make you cancelable. Um, and so that's how I fell into content creation. And to the second part of your question, which is like staying motivated and keeping it going, that is something that I've definitely struggled with over the years um, because you're trying to balance a couple of things. You're trying to balance your personal life. Uh, you're trying to balance your your work life. You're trying to balance the second work life of acting and the training that you might need or the practice that you might need. And you're also trying to watch videos and learn from your friends and collaborate with them on that and do the whole YouTube thing. So I think the thing that was really difficult about it was not knowing what my personal North Star was for a while. Um, and I was really lucky that I got contacted by a really awesome artist and a creator and just creative named Glenn Kino, who reached out after I sort of made my first viral video and really loved what I did and thought that there was something there that he wanted to you know, extrapolate a little more from talk to me and essentially mentor me in a lot of ways. Uh, and he became my first Los Angeles mentor. Um, and it wasn't like we met every single day and talked. It was just like we met four or five times over the course of a year. I went in and I presented some stuff to his company about uh, making videos online and some lessons that I've learned. That was like the first time I did consulting work. And through his lens and through the wisdom and experience that someone else had in the creative fields, I was able to garner a lot more knowledge about how to keep pursuing my goals. And like he just challenged me the first time I met him. And I'm like, what, 22? He's like, what's your six-year goal? And I was just like, ah, oh, six, six years, I'm going to be 20. I, I haven't even thought ahead to tomorrow. Um, and so questions like that and him explaining why they're important and also letting me figure out for myself why they're important to have those sorts of longer-term goals and figure out what your North Star or Golden Thread is, that really helped me solidify slowly over time. Right, this, None of this happened overnight, more as to why I was doing what I was doing and helped me say no to certain things and yes to other things or to pursue things I wouldn't have gone for otherwise. Um, so I, I really think it's important to have mentorship um, especially these days, um, people that have had life experiences and wisdom to share and that are inherently interested in you as a person and your development. And they don't, again, need to be super hands-on. They're not like teaching you how to forge a sword like an old apprenticeship, but they can give you some just like, right? Like even just one paragraph of thought from them could change your life forever depending on what they say. So I think those opportunities are all around us all the time. Um, and I would encourage everyone out there that's sort of struggling with 
finding that passion and all that stuff to look to other peers and people in the space that may be able to give you that. And sometimes your mentors could be your parents and they could be your family. Other times it could be your boss at work or someone that is managing you or it could just be someone that you find online and you know they're the kind of person that mentors other people. So you should message them and ask them if they have advice or be willing to check out your stuff and give you some tips or whatever it is. You know, and, and if that doesn't work, that's totally fine. Just keep searching and looking for that. Shelly, I think you're my mentor. Aw. <laughs> I would say a lot of men could use more women as mentors or just that's, people with higher emotional intelligence in general. But that's a, mm. that's a whole other subject. For sure, uh, yeah. yeah. And then I think you know something that you touched on there uh, was something that I think has been front and center for a lot of people is that idea of, of burning out, right? And that having like you need to be able to have this churn, especially as a YouTuber or, or, or content creator, you know. And in the D and D space, it's people who are like, well, I got to have three different shows that I'm streaming and being a part of, mm-hmm. and you know, not realizing that you're uh, you know burning the candle at both ends and how to how to yes. how to say no. Uh, in a gracious way, but also for your own mental health and things like that. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, Definitely don't be afraid to say no. It's the most, you know, your life. It's your life. Yeah. Live it. <laughs> Prioritize yourself in ways that, you know, obviously aren't selfish, but being selfish is not a bad thing inherently either. I think there's a lot of negative connotation to that. Um, but yeah, know how to take time for yourself. Know when you need rest. Know when you don't, you know, you need to close the front door of your house and no one else keeps coming in. There's all sorts of little things that, I've learned slowly over my life and I'm turning 34 this month and I you know I thought I knew everything at 22 and being 33 and going through a whole new slew of experiences and humbling moments makes me realize I'm just at the beginning you know in a lot of ways of a spiritual journey and all that so stay I humble was, Yeah no for sure I think about um uh it's an old reference but help by the Beatles where John Lennon is basically saying I, I thought I knew everything when I was 22, and mm. it found. Turns out I, I I didn't, and I don't even more so now. Like I don't I don't know, and even that he was at the top of his game when he was writing that song, you know. And, and yeah. uh, it's I, I see that kind of happening now, and especially with my own personal life of just being like, yep, I don't. I, I wish I kind of had that confidence and fire that I had when I was 22, but at the same time, I'm glad that I I, I lived through it and was able to. Uh, you know, prioritize what needed to be prioritized. Yeah. If you had that confidence and fire at 22 and the knowledge that you have at 32 or 42 or 52, then you wouldn't have done those things at 22. Correct. Which is, I mean, like, that's when I moved across the country to Seattle from Mm. upstate New York, never having been to Seattle. I had no reason to come here. Mm -hmm. And now, like, I've been here for a long time because I'm too scared to go back. (laughs) It's right. moving takes a lot of energy and a lot of time. Obviously, true. I have a lot more roots here too. But had I known the things that I know, like as an adult uh, or an older adult, maybe I wouldn't have taken the chances I did in my twenties. Yeah, I think there's a lot of wisdom there, which is just like I think in a lot of ways the universe does work in perfect ways. Um, yeah, right, like. Looking, for instance, there's so many times that I've done this comparison and it's so toxic, which is just like, well, this actor got their big break at 23 and look at where they're at now. And I'm 10 years older than that. How am I ever going to succeed? Blah, 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 blah. Like I could go on forever. Mm -hmm. But it's not right. Like you don't want to compare yourself to the people that might be the exception to the norm because, you know, it's, it's not going to give you the insight that you want. And so, 
whatever your journey is, I think the moment that you start realizing and thinking more about your journey and maybe listening to this podcast is part of that journey. Who knows? Yeah. That's just how it was meant to pan out. And you know, the world and the universe in your gut are going to give you a lot of signs and signposts and directions to go. Um, and it's sort of up to you whether you want to listen to it and pursue it, or if it's not the time for you to do it, then you may not be at that level yet to do that. And that's totally okay. Because if, if I tried to teach myself the lessons I know now at the age of 22, I probably have been like, screw you, old man, get out of here. I know what <laughs> okay, I'm doing. Boomer. You know? And that would have been very important for me to learn from. I wouldn't have learned it otherwise that I was totally wrong or whatever it was, right? Or I needed to adjust my viewpoint on this or that. So I think being open is a huge part of it. But you know, don't ever feel bad for not getting there as fast as someone else, because that's their life. It sure isn't yours, and you couldn't be two different people, right? We're all humans on this podcast, but I haven't lived a minute in any of your issues. I have no clue what it's like to be you, what's going on in your life and all that stuff. So I think it's like, it's a trap to, to, to don't walk in yeah. that trap. Roll the perception check. Know that someone else's experiences don't need to define yours. Yep. And now yeah. the trap for me is that like, oh, you know, everybody's saying those, basically trying to echo that sentiment being like, you know, just because they made it big when they were young doesn't, you know, mean, and there are all these novelists who are examples mm-hmm. of like, oh, they got published their first novel when they were 51. Isn't that great? Right. And then, yeah. then I'm like, shit, that's only 10 years away from now. <laughs> I got to hurry up and write my first novel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> or else I'm going to be a even bigger. You're missing footnote. the point. You're yeah, missing no, the I'm point. totally missing the point. <laughs> um, but one of those things. This is a this is a hard transition, but I'm going to make it anyway. Let's uh, do one it. One of those things that's Drift. always, uh, at least you know, colloquially as well as uh, within the building at Wizards, uh, was that Dungeons and Dragons and Magic the Gathering are two very separate things, and then they're never going to, uh, you know, work together, cross mm. IPs. None of that. And then we saw the success of uh, Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica yeah, as well as so awesome. uh, Theros. And now we've got Adventures in the Forgotten Realms coming from uh, Matches of the Gathering. It's a set for magic cards that uses all D&D stuff. And we don't know much more other than that, but we're super excited about even more crossover between those two brands now. Yeah, they just announced Universes Beyond as well, um, which uh, Hasbro was like, check it out. Magic the Gathering made us $816 million last year. And instead of just being a company we own, you get your own division. You are a a central column of Hasbro, um, which is obviously, I think for a lot of players, been raising a lot of eyebrows because it's like, what is going to happen to the future of our game? And I think it's (laughs) like, guess what? More people are going to play it. That's what the future is. This is how you know, the hobby world and the capitalistic world works. Um, So I think it's important to always have good perspective when it comes to this sort of stuff. Um, You know, you, all of us as gamers and all of us as enthusiasts and hobbyists and fans, we are always going to feel a certain amount of entitlement to the things that we love because they defined us growing up or they're the things that other people made fun of us for growing up. So we cling on to it even harder as, you know, as an adult. Um, I think like, one, don't get testy about, games and stuff like that you know at the end of the day you're gonna outlive dungeons and dragons probably and you're gonna outlive magic the gathering too like you've got a long long beautiful life ahead of you um it's not like D is your child <laughs> it's not like you gave birth to this thing and now you need to make sure it goes to the right school and dates the right people um there's a lot of stuff that's always going to be out of our control and if you look anywhere in the world you'll see similar analogs here and there and so I'm personally excited. I think it's great that Magic and games like Magic are able to spread to more people because I recognize the inherent 
positivities of the game that are really, 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 really important to me, which is like, it's a great teaching tool. It's amazing for helping people learn like mathematics, decision-making, assessment ability, um, critical thinking, like all of these super important things that I don't think schools teach, but games do. And that's why I love Mm. games so much is because you'll find versions of this in all games. Um, And so I think when Magic does crossovers like this, they're doing it... uh, as because I know a lot of the designers, right? I know a lot of people that work there. They genuinely have a passion to make the best game possible. And so, whether or not it was their decision to do a Dungeons and Dragons crossover or a Warhammer crossover, that's not going to affect their passion for the game at the end of the day because that's their job and their living and their life. You know, I don't think someone like Mark Rosewater is just going to be like, well, I'm just going to try less hard now because it's not the magic universe. You know, if anything, they're going to try harder to make sure that it's something that, you know, is widely accepted and brings in new players whatever it ends up being so i'm really excited for the D collaboration i think that is a perfect right it's a perfect makes perfect sense to me both from a company standpoint wizards owns D as well and also they have people like james wyatt that's working on the set that is a very prolific writer both for magic and dungeons and dragons you couldn't ask for right you can't just go out on a on a hiring website and being like, I'm looking for a longtime <laughs> fantasy author that has vast experience in <laughs> both of these fields and can write something that's genuine for the thing. But you have those resources available. And so I think that's what also gets me like kind of stoked, which is like, I know we're going to get a quality product. Um, now, obviously, I can't guarantee anything until I see the cards and all that stuff. But it's a, it's a collaboration that makes sense. I hope it brings more players into the game and I hope it brings the love of the strategy world of magic to more people as well. Yeah, yeah, and I've always been, you know, hugely uh, thankful and and just grateful that so many of the uh, you know designers who have made their bread and butter doing magic cards have always been D and D fans, and they've always expressed this love of 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 all of the storytelling that Dungeons and Dragons can able is mm-hmm. able to do, uh, and you know, vice versa. The the, the people on the D and D team have always loved that kind of strategic, uh, you know, play, uh, you know, yeah. which is there in Dungeons and Dragons, but not quite as as mechanics based as as magic is and then mm-hmm. just being able to you know have both i mean i'm a i'm a you know tactical board gamer too i like i like that type of uh you know chess like you know strategy that you end up doing and there's some of it in dungeons and dragons but i'm excited to get all of that together in one thing and then have that ip just really really brought to life with the amazing artists that magic yeah. always brings to bear as well as um you know some of the fun mechanics that they've been experimenting with uh, with Zendikar and stuff with uh, with the party mechanics and, you know, I heard so. a statistic that magic and D&D is responsible for like 70% of the fantasy art that gets created every year <laughs> I don't know how true that is but it would make sense considering just how much stuff gets put out and I think you know giving I've, I'm friends with a lot of artists too and seeing their work pop up in my feed always brings a smile to my face and knowing that games and properties like Magic and D&D are creating those opportunities for up-and-coming artists is also really, I think, exciting for me as another fellow creative. Yeah, definitely. And bringing people in from different backgrounds and, and mm-hmm. nationalities and things like that. Like totally. I, That's the thing that's really exciting to me about uh, you know, both, both brands, really, is, is, is that infusion of so many different voices because there's people from all walks of life have enjoyed games and played games and especially fantasy yeah. and and I love seeing the different flavors uh, that are um, you know like like Theros having this Greek god uh, you know thing and mm-hmm. Ravnica's you know guilds uh, really just kind of brought to life in different ways and all the characters that uh, are able to be brought to bear and uh, you know having people embody those I don't know it's it's 
it's a nice little amalgam and mix, and I just can't wait for not only what's coming out for this year, but you know, years to come. That's the beauty of fantasy, I think, is you get all of that. Um, it, you can be anything you want. You can do anything you want, really, in a lot of ways, and it's accessible. So I think Dungeons & Dragons is the most accessible thing in the world. You don't even need a single piece of paper to get started if you really just want to try role-playing, right? Like, there is a, a way for you to enjoy this without needing to go deep into the rules or whatever it is. It could just literally be you and a friend sitting there and creating a little scenario and running through it, right? Congrats, you just played a version of Dungeons yeah. & Dragons of a fantasy world-type game. And you can be whatever you want, doesn't matter who you are, and you can represent yourself however you like to, which is always cool. Definitely. Absolutely. I, I think there was always a, a misconception, too, that the people who play D&D &D and the people who play Magic are vastly different. It turns <laughs> yeah. out they're not. There is a lot of crossover there. Totally. Uh, You're yeah. the embodiment of that. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, I'm the living embodiment. You I am right there. Magic the Dragons. <laughs> <laughs> On Dragon Talk. Uh, I love it. I love it. Uh, awesome. Well, thanks so much for, for being here, being a part of, you know, the amazing community and, and, uh, you know, seeing your, your face and your personality and your, uh, you know, just enthusiasm about games, I think has just brought more people into, you know, both of these communities. Uh, and so thank you for that. Oh, absolutely. I appreciate obviously having the chance to just chat about D and D cause I don't really talk about it much ever. Yes, to to the point where I did not know you were a D and D player. There you go. Yeah, and I'm like a, know. a secret D and D player. You know, I don't play I'm that not, much publicly. The secret's out now. I'm yeah, sorry. secret is actually out. Now, especially <laughs> podcast listeners will know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then, and we know that that you uh, are fully capable of saying no to things, and and we really appreciate that you did not say no to the invitation <laughs> to appear on Dragon Talk. <laughs> no, of course not. Every time I get a call from another two zero six number, I'm like, yeah, because I grew up in Seattle. Um, oh. So it's it's, I have a lot of affinity with, right, there was a period in the 90s and th early thousands where there was just a new card game every single week. You know, I got really close with a group called 2i Interactive Imagination back in the day. That was a Seattle company that made another card game. I had a whole fan forum for that. And, you know, I think like my passion for this world has always been there. So I, I definitely love Seattle for breeding and creating that sort of world for the rest of the world to enjoy. That's what Seattle's all about. Plus, it's yeah. got mountains. That's the thing. as, as an East Coast trees and clean air. Yeah, yep. green. And now it's entering that good period of of, of Seattle weather too. Where yes, you know, we've, the best we've, part. We've Visit Seattle during the, the summer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's definitely. It's going to be beautiful. So, everybody, come to Seattle. It's it's where it's at. You get to you know be around <laughs> people who make games all the time. That's it. That's the only industry of Seattle. <laughs> all we do here. Yeah, that's the only one. I think if people start looking up the companies that originated in the Pacific Northwest, they would be shocked how many there are. There are so many. It's huge. It's huge. I think it's you know, a lot to do because of Wizards, uh, as you said. Like, you know, they, <laughs> getting that 70% of, of, of card art, it's also uh, that level of designers. Either they've, you know, right, moved yeah. on and then yeah. just stayed in the area because it's so beautiful. The cube scene is huge too in Seattle. And that's the whole, like, if you're a dungeon master, you're also someone that I think that would make a Magic the Gathering cube. So a lot of crossover. I've always wanted to get into cubes, and I, I only very we'll have to have you back on and have us uh, uh, describe exactly how that works because I see. Oh, Shady I don't, like, I don't know. I would tell you to go to YouTube and look Ice it up. Cubes? That would be my answer. gelatinous cubes. Cube is gelatinous a, cubes is a, a prepackaged <laughs> design experience that that is draftable. So you just get eight of your friends around. It's you choose all the cards in the cube. You make them into fake booster packs. And then oh. you get to create your own archetypes and stuff. You can like oh. make one that's just your favorite parts of magic. You can do one that's Dungeons and Dragons themed soon. 
and it's like a standalone experience that you can always bust out. You don't need to pay anything for it. You know, it's it's a lot of fun. There's tons of different versions, and the designers are the most of them. I think are in Seattle, honestly. Mm. Because there's like there's you know tens of thousands of magic cards, right? And so you're just like, oh, I'm gonna make my own mini set as essentially, yeah. right? This is the oh, world I really want to cool. play in. I really like the mechanics from this one. I love these types of creatures. Let's do those archetypes. Yeah. That's super fun. And that yeah. you're right. That is a lot of like what Dungeon Masters like about picking the monsters out of the monster menu. Like, this is my world that I'm gonna have you guys play in. It is, it's world building. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jimmy. Uh, what's a good place for people to go to and check out all the stuff that you're doing? So I mostly post about everything on my Twitter. You can always find me at J-F-W-O-N-G, J-F Wong. Um, and you know, you'll, every time something new comes out, like a video for my magic stuff, I'll retweet it. So you can always just see it there. Um, and that's probably the best place to find me. It's also J-F Wong on Instagram and all that stuff too. Awesome. awesome. Well, thanks so much. I can't wait for more uh, from you in the years and months to come. Uh, I know we've, we've been talking around a lot of secrets we all have, and uh, I can't wait to let them all out of the bag. Yeah, maybe we can talk about the Dungeons and Dragons set when it comes out finally. Yeah, yes. we'll uh, we'll create our own little cube for it. I guess it'll be its own cube. But <laughs> yeah, thank you both. I really appreciate it. <laughs> thank you, Jimmy. It was great talking to you. Thanks, guys. What a wonderful person. I love Jimmy so much. The fact that he was able to rattle off so many great answers to everything we threw at him is uh, just a testament to the fact that he's probably been on camera and on mic more than most of our. <laughs> Hosts of their guests have been right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You know, I I could have dug into the whole just like finding your north star and you know listening to your gut and saying no and I, that is it's not like directly tied to D and D but I could have dug into that so much Absolutely. more because I I think that's just such great advice for for your life for personal for professional um, which is probably speaks to why he's so successful because he is actually. Um, getting good advice and following it. Yeah, yeah. So. And I, 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 I'm kicking myself for not asking whether or not he used all that downtime and armor while shooting Milan to play some Dungeons and Dragons with the people I, uh, I know. that were there, right? You know, any, any movie production I've ever heard of, there's a lot of hurry up and wait. And so right. when you're in that mode, what better thing to do than, uh, than, than play some games? Exactly, especially if you're already kind of like in character, literally exactly. in, in character. Right? They could yeah. have done some real, real cool LARPs. And next time, yep. <laughs> there's a whole bunch of extras doing a, a, a huge production like that. They better be doing some LARPs uh, or there's going to be, they're going to have to talk to Lolf about that. I kind of like the idea because you were talking about, like, you don't really know as a fighter, like, what it's like to, like, wear all this armor. And I kind of like the idea of, like, training, like, real, like, for your fantasy character, but real life training. Like now, I, I kind of want to know what is it like to wear mage armor and my flowy robes and carry a spell book. Like, how heavy is a spell book? Or do I have a staff or just an orb that hovers around? Like, I want to know now. Yeah. I want to go through that training and then really embody. What it's right? like to be a magic user, or if your backpack—it's got you know a bedroll and ten rations and and all of the quills and inks and books that you got in there. Like that's actually kind of heavy. If you've had any backpack that had books in it, it's heavy. And so uh, it's true. Yes, and like we we've been watching a lot of old um, Amazing Race seasons, and you know like, yeah. they're always on an adventure. And I always am like, oh, they have to carry those backpacks with them wherever they go, and it's just. It does kind of remind me of what would it be like to be an adventurer in D&D? You always got to lug that stuff around. 
Exactly. It's, it's 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 something we often hand wave as uh, as D and D players because it's you know not always as fun to track no. and, and encumbrance and all that stuff. But it's important to think about sometimes when you're like, hey, I've got uh, I'm I'm carrying a house on my back, and that's why the bag of holding is such a great magic item. Definitely, yes. Maybe as a a magic user, I am. I also have excellent posture, and I can hold the book on my head. Oh, let's go with that. Yes, even on difficult terrain. You're stepping over things. You're getting your boots out of the muck, but you never drop that. I never drop that that spell book. Mm -mm. It's on my Kindle, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the Kindle is a magic item that yes. uh, Now I just have stores all of your an electronic reader. I love it. Yeah, that's actually smart. You should invent that in D and D world. I'll Maybe your Hexblood character has that. What's the name of your Hexblood character, by the way? Agatha. Agatha. Dun, dun, dun. I can't tell you um, her last name because she's tied to a future. When you whisper, it goes really, really quiet. I can't tell you her last name. Is it? It will spoil. I know what it is. No, you don't. Okay, fine. Maybe you do. No, you I probably do. Um, you know what I do know, though, is if you want to get into Dungeons & Dragons, there is a lot of fun stuff that you can follow, including what? going to Dragon Plus and downloading the latest issue and finding out about what's coming up for Dark Alliance, for Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft, uh, as well as Candle Keep Mysteries and things, other things to come. You can go to DungeonsAndDragons.com as well as follow me and Shelly. I am at Greg Tito and you are... At Shelly Moo. On Instagram and Twitter. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But of course, we want you to sign up for the Dungeons & Dragons newsletter if you are at all interested in getting email updates about the latest happenings. You'll get press clippings, you'll get videos, you'll get uh, interesting... Um, stuff that you can uh, look into and put into your games. Uh, and you can sign up for that. Look in the show notes here for Dragon Talk to be able to sign up for it. And uh, we're going to be leveling up that newsletter going forward. So uh, exciting stuff to come. Absolutely. Get in it now. Get your D&D news delivered to you. Hot, fresh off of the internet ovens. Yep. Boom. I also... <sighs> Want to give a shout out to the amazing folks who make this podcast happen. Ryan, Marth, and Lisa Carr. Thank you so much. Yay! You are all amazing. And then, of course, Shane, Sean Mayofsky on the wizard side for uh, making all the great video content that comes out of Dragon Talk. And with that, it's now to go to what's happening with Drunky and Daryl in Waterdeep. Right. They've recently Wait. met... Mert, the moneylender, and uh, Daryl had referred to him as his contact, and you discovered that it was for an organization called the Harpers. That I'm now in. That's You at least have gotten a thumbs up from Mert, uh, and you are being sent to uh, a ward in the north, the north ward, in fact, (laughs) of Waterdeep, (laughs) uh, to a safe house. And that's where we left you off. Okay. Why do I need a safe house? Well, that's where the Harpers go, is what Daryl says. That's where the Harpers go when uh, they need to meet up with each other and uh, potentially get supplies and exchange information. What are we going to do? What is happening? I'm tired. This is all part of why 
you found me in the first place. Yeah, Don't but not to join a secret organization. I just wanted to find you, and then we could just go off on our own. I told no, you. Like, I've, I've already been involved with this, uh, and I have a personal connection to it. Why don't you never even ask? You're not even asking me any questions about me and what happened over my life, and this is part of the answers. Oh, no, Daryl. I have asked you a million times what happened to you, and you're just very cagey, and you don't answer. It's because of this organization. They're very secretive, um, but they, they are helping out what's happening here in Waterdeep. But now I'm in the organization, so hopefully you can tell me more. Exactly. But we need to get to the safe house, so hopefully uh, we, we can find that out along the way. So you guys are having this conversation as you're walking yeah. uh, through the streets of Waterdeep. It's, there's lots of uh, you know, briny smell since you're in the dark ward right now. So, you know, barrels of fish and, and uh, you know, other nautical smells, maybe some tar or pitch uh, everywhere um, and lots of sailors. But as you start walking north and you're getting farther and farther, uh, it starts to become a little bit more, um, you know, middle class generally uh, with the uh, merchants area. Uh, and so, yeah, you're in, all of a sudden in, like a, in a square where there's a lot of bustling around. It's midday now by this point, and it is, there's probably more people in front of you than you've had in front of you, you know, during this whole uh, story. I'm really clutching Daryl's paw because I don't want to get separated. Yes. I'm holding well, very tight to him. We do have to stick together. Um, but then as you uh, are, are clutching tight... Uh, roll me a perception check. Eleven. Eleven. Um, so you see a small, uh, short, um, tiefling, uh, kind of come up to you. Uh, dark reddish skin, uh, two small horns coming out and about four feet tall wearing, um, what looks like you know, kind of urchin's clothing, like small, you know, uh, rags, nothing very fancy at all. And uh, this uh, tiefling comes up to you and says, oh, hey, uh, just so you know, um, there are a lot of bad people around here and you need to be on the lookout. Me in particular? Or yes. Or you just, you, me? You. I'm going to, can I do an insight check? Yes. Oh, 24. 24. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, it's very almost imperceptible, but you see the eye line of this tiefling child kind of like going off a little bit as they're talking to you. It's like very subtle. Uh, and you could tell they're trying not to uh, move their eye line while you're talking to them. And you okay, get the sense I, that there's something happening behind you. Can, can I turn around and look? Yes. See what's going on? And you see a uh, another... Uh, child uh, uh, grabbing your uh, coin purse on your on your belt. What the hell? Well, I turn He's... around and sm- slap their little hand away. Okay, roll me an attack. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, should I use my claws? I mean, if well, it, you, you can call, tell me of, whether or not you want to do damage, but I I, I don't want to do damage. I just want to get them away. So I, I rolled a twelve. But should uh, I add? Uh, yeah, like, add your attack modifier. You know, uh, uh, you know, 15. just use your fifteen. Yeah. Uh, so that is high enough. Uh, so yeah, you kind of slap them on the wrist, and they say, "Ow, okay, run, run, run!" And then the two of them scatter. God damn it! And we'll pick I... it up next time. 
I was actually like feeling like tugs in my heart for that little urchin in front of me. Yeah, that's what they were playing on. Uh, so yeah, we'll pick it up next time with what happens uh, after they start to scatter and what you and Daryl want to do. Okay. Bum, bum, bum. Woo!